0: Ever wish you had a reset button? What would a reset look like in your life? We've all experienced disruptive changes, profound loss, abnormalities, been on the brink of burnout. We want to offer you hope, encouragement, guidance. God promises life and life everlasting. Well, it is a real delight to be with you here at Lakeside this morning and to greet you on a day when we can celebrate the kind of partnership that is absolutely essential for developing future Kingdom leaders, partnership between the local church and the local camp, with um, campus ministries, Christian universities. We are all dependent upon each other to uh, really make the impact in the lives of future leaders that we do. A week ago yesterday was our graduation. And I told John that there were more mentions of Lakeside from the podium than any other church. And so I want to give a shout out this morning to some of those Lakeside LCU graduates. Mallory Webster was up here at the uh, piano. And uh, a couple of our uh, graduates are doing internships here at Lakeside this summer, Emily Nall and DJ Goble and uh, grateful for their uh, completing their degrees. And Elizabeth Squibb is gonna be working with CIY, but she's volunteering back there at the tech table today. And then a Lakeside product, Carter Walker. So it was quite a day for Lakeside to uh, uh, be platformed uh, in terms of uh, Lincoln leaders. We're proud of all of them. And we're grateful for the partnership that uh, our university has with you here at Lakeside. When John first mentioned this Reset series, my mind first went to a, a message that I preached in chapel. I'm guessing now it's been nearly 20 years ago. I entitled it Calibrate Me. You see, like a reset, calibration is what we do with thermostats and, and uh, television sets with compasses and computer monitors to make some needed adjustment to fine-tune them for accuracy. And, and I have felt for some time that there is a need for Christians and for churches on a very regular basis to refocus and to fine tune for the future. So I like the metaphor in this series of pushing a reset button. Last week John focused on resetting the inner heart, the inner world, uh, the need for inner surrender and specifically he talked about the role of the Holy Spirit who works within us as our advocate our mentor, or I think as he described him, our human whisperer. In over 800 times in the Old Testament and 150 times in the New Testament where the words for heart, the word labe and the word cardia, from which we get our words for cardio and cardiology, where those words appear, seldom do the writers of scripture ever refer to the literal, physical, blood-pumping muscle. And unlike our obsession with heart, that equates it with feelings and emotions, especially around Valentine's Day, more often in Scripture, heart refers to the intellect. But it actually encompasses the very core of our being. In fact, David Noggle, in his book, Worldview, The History of a Concept, proposes that the term heart in scripture is the original term for worldview. We use that term for a way of seeing and a way of thinking, a way of understanding all of reality. The biblical notion of heart includes all that makes up an inner person that is expressed outwardly. Our beliefs, our thoughts, our values, our desires, our commitments, our actions. And we may also call this our character. In fact, though there are nuances to each word, I'm going to use these inseparable terms of heart and character interchangeably in this message because I'm convinced they are the keys to this all-encompassing concept of renewing our holiness. Today, our topic is resetting our outer world, our character, our conduct. And I know of no greater need than to constantly renew our hearts and renew our holiness. When I realized my topic in this series was going to be on character, I scanned my bookshelves to see just how popular this topic is. I found there David Brooks's book, The Road to Character, Oz Guinness's book, Character Counts, Chuck Swindoll's The Quest for Character, Dallas Willard's Revolution of Character, and N.T. Wright's After You Believe Why Christian Character Matters. And I want to share just a few insights from some of these authors before we look at what God, the author of the authoritative word, has to say about this topic. So I want to begin with a couple of definitions. Oz Guinness captured the essence of character in his book, Character Counts, with this definition of the term. Character is clearly distinct from such concepts as personality, image, reputation, or celebrity. It is the essential stuff a person is made of, the inner reality and quality in which thoughts, speech, decisions, behavior, and relations are rooted. As such, character determines behavior just as behavior demonstrates character. And then he adds this word of caution. Don't miss it. Character always has consequences. Character always has consequences. Dallas Willard in Revolution of Character further defines it as, quote, that internal overall structure of the self that reveals our long-running patterns of behavior. He states that character develops from our will or our heart, as specific choices become habitual and to some extent automatic. And then he adds, character is revealed most of all in what we feel and do without thinking. Robert Mulholland has a trilogy of books that focus on spiritual formation. And in the one entitled The Deeper Journey, The Spirituality of Discovering the True Self, he describes Christian character in terms of what it means to be like Jesus as it is portrayed in the new testament he describes it as a matter of both being and doing it is being in a relationship of loving union with god that manifests itself in christ-like living in the world and he contrasts the two ways of being in the world as the false self and the true self and then he offers this personal confession he says and i quote I was a mud pie with a thin layer of Christian frosting, trying to pass myself off as an angel food cake. But the mud kept seeping through. I needed God to take that mud and breathe into it the breath of life. So to connect with what John said last week, we need that spirit to breathe into us that breath of life, to transform us so that righteous acts can be displayed from the inside out so that in our lives the mud stops oozing out and we're more than just a thin layer of Christian frosting trying to pose as an angel food cake. And then Mulholland remembered something that he had been... Reminded of years ago, he says, we need to rethink repentance as not merely being sorry for the things we have done, but being sorry that we're still the kind of people who do such things. Wow, what a radical thought. So what we really need is an inner transformation that shapes us into Christ-likeness. That is why we were adopted by the Father and redeemed by the Son. Now we can be indwelt by the Holy Spirit and the purpose of that Holy Spirit who is at work within us is to make us holy. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit is to make us holy. Just as God is holy, we have within us the presence and the power of a holy God to work to make us holy holy I want to suggest to you this morning that heart shaping and our pursuit of holiness is a lifelong ongoing never ending process lifelong ongoing never ending process but there's some progression to it i find it interesting looking at some verses in the book of hebrews to discover this in hebrews chapter 10 verse 10 And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We have been made holy. That is a perfect tense, a completed action that has already been done. We have already been made holy. Now look at verse 14. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever, those who are Being made holy is not only a completed action, but it is also a present tense, continuous action. We are continually being made holy. Once and for all, by Christ's sacrifice, we have been made holy. We have been perfected. But by the Spirit's sanctifying work within us, we are still being made holy. And all of that describes something that's being done to us. But then look at what the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 12, verses 14 and 15. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Grounded in grace, with no bitter root growing up in us, The Hebrew writer says, we are to make every effort to be holy. That is a present tense imperative. We are to keep on making the effort. So we have a part to play in this process. God is doing it. The Holy Spirit is doing it. And we have a role to play as we continually make effort to make ourselves what God wants us to be. In his book, The Road to Character, David Brooks illustrates the effort required in making a helpful contrast between those who climb the corporate ladder and achieve success by winning victory over others with those who build character by winning victories over the weaknesses in themselves. And he speaks of those people who live that way as believing that character is not innate or automatic. You have to build it with effort and artistry. You won't even achieve, he writes, enduring external success unless you build a solid moral code. And then he adds this warning, if you don't have inner integrity, eventually your Watergate, your scandal, your betrayal will happen. So there is that practical possibility of a blow up. There's a reason to pursue holiness But there is an eternal reason why this quest for holiness matters. The Hebrew writer says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It will take Christ's sacrifice of what he has done for us, the Holy Spirit's sanctifying work of what he continues to do with us, and our constant pursuit of holiness to see the Lord. This pursuit of holiness prompted, I believe, the wise sage centuries ago to advise his son in Proverbs 4.23, above all else, above everything else, some good advice for graduates, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. All of the springs of life flow out of the heart. Jesus echoed this same idea on a number of occasions. He addressed the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12 with these words, make a tree good and its fruit will be good or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But it's not just words. It's more than that. Jesus also said in Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart, out of the core, out of the depth of your character come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. The heart is the source of all these things and so much more. So on a positive note, in his quest for character, Chuck Swindoll speaks of the heart as that inner person where down deep hope is born, where decisions are made, where commitment is strengthened, where truth is stored, mainly where character, the stuff that gives us depth and makes us wise, is formed. The heart is the master control center for our lives, so we must pay attention to our hearts. To use another metaphor in computing and in some other spheres, the principle is garbage in, garbage out. That is, an incorrect or poor quality input will always produce faulty outputs. And that applies not only in the technological realm, but it also applies in the spiritual realm. We feed our minds on garbage. Our minds are going to think garbage. Garbage in, garbage out. Do you remember how Paul framed his discussion of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5? He presents us with another contrast. He says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, a pretty strong statement. There's an eternal consequence of of, uh, pursuing holiness. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and against such things there is no law. In contrast to the works of the flesh in which we used to live, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us produces his fruit. And that fruit is evident in our character. It is evident in our conduct. It shows up as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. So our character, our conduct, our commitments all flow from the very core of who we are. In other words, the fruit grows from the root. I like the story of the middle-aged business executive who approached the front entrance of his office building in which he worked when a young woman came up at the same moment, so he stepped back and held the door open for her to pass through. She looked at him and said with annoyance, don't hold the door for me just because I'm a lady, to which he looked back and replied, I'm not, I'm holding it open because I'm a gentleman." You see, there's a reminder in there that we who are Christians are to act toward outsiders on the basis of what we are in Christ and who we are in Christ and not on the basis of what they may be or what they may not be. Who we are, our very character oozes out of us as this Holy Spirit lives vibrantly within us. Now I want to look just once again at Proverbs chapter 4 to see a few practical implications of this principle at work in our everyday lives. Here's where the writer of Proverbs says to his son, My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life then he says, put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. David Hubbard in his commentary on Proverbs suggests that the nouns in these verses provide us a lesson in the anatomy of a disciple. (laughs) Actually, when I read them, It reminded me of a little children's chorus that we used to sing in Sunday school that has been around a long time. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And then there's a verse for various parts of the body. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little mind, what you think. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful what you see, what you hear, what you think, what you say, where you go, what you do. That's what the writer here is saying in Proverbs. The ears are to hear and pay close attention to the words of the wise teacher. The eyes are to be riveted on them in their written form and must at the same time fix their gaze on the path to spot any obstacles that may come along. The heart, the very core of the being, is the vault where the treasures of wisdom are to be stored, guarded, and from which they are to be withdrawn and employed. A reminder to me of Psalm 119.11, where the psalmist declares, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. The mouth and lips are the conduit from which wise decisions and sound observations of the heart flow. The feet do the actual walking, following the directions of the heart and the eyes. And the safety of the one walking depends on their ability to respond quickly to the commands they receive. The right hand, the left hand, which is the literal Hebrew here, symbolize our tendency to roam aimlessly to the left or to the right. It's an echo of God's call to unswerving obedience in Deuteronomy 5.32 and Joshua 1.7. Some pretty practical implications of what character and a renewed heart would look like. So my question to you this morning is simply this. Do you need a character reset? Do you need a heart reset? Do you need renewed holiness? If so, how would you ever know? Well, I confess to you there are times that it sneaks up on you and you're caught off guard. I want to tell you about one of those times in my life. It's, it's been several years ago, so I assure you that I've grown a little bit since this, since this occurred, but I'm going to confess it to you nonetheless. I was dropping off Margaret and Laura at White Oaks Mall on the Saturday before Christmas, several years ago. I took them up and dropped them, dropped them off at the door of the burdener's store, which a gentleman always does, and then I went out to find a parking place. I'm glad they weren't with me. Because I followed a driver up through the parking area, and I'm sure just as he passed a car, out of the corner of his eye, he saw some brake lights come on, a car, and I'm right behind him, and he decides he's going to back up. And so I just sit there, and I wait. I just sit there. Not proud of it, but I just sat there. About the time I thought he was going to get out of his car and make a bigger issue out of it, I thought, it's not worth it. I'm going to back up, let him have this parking space, and uh, I'll move on. So I did. I just backed up. He backed up. car backed out. And then I drove around and found a parking place closer to the entrance of the mall. Yes. But it was in that moment, in that instant, that I remember distinctly asking myself, where did that come from? And I wasn't talking about him. I was talking about myself. Where did that sense of entitlement come from? Where did that obstinance come from? Where did that lack of grace come from? Where did my lack of generosity come from? And I concluded, it came from my heart realized I still have some heart to do, hard work to do. Sometimes it comes by surprise and other times you see a crisis coming. I mentioned that chapel message, Calibrate Me, that I preached several years ago. At the end of it, I concluded it by inviting my family and my colleagues to hold me accountable if I ever needed to be calibrated. It was my attempt to say to them, if I am becoming the kind of person I don't want to be, tell me. You have permission, please tell me. I would describe these today as the warning signs. Taken from some words from J. Robert Clinton and Gordon MacDonald, who call them factors and deadly siphons, I see them as the flashing lights on the dashboard of my mind that tell me a crisis may be coming. So I'm going to reframe those statements for you this morning as statements of when you will know it's time to reset. If you begin to lose your learning posture and you stop growing, it's time to reset. If the attractiveness of your character begins to wane, it is time to reset. If you stop living by your convictions, it is time to reset. If it appears that you will fail to leave behind an ultimate contribution, it is time to reset. If you stop walking in the awareness of your influence and destiny, it is time to reset. If you begin to lose your once vibrant relationship with God, it is time to reset. If you have words without actions, it's time to reset. If you display busyness without purpose, it's time to reset. If your calendar fills without a Sabbath, it's time to reset. If you have relationships without mutual nourishment, it's time to reset. If you resort to personality without self-examination, it's time to reset. If you depend upon natural giftedness without spiritual power, It's time to reset. And if you develop an enormous theology without an adequate spirituality, it is time to reset. I don't know about you, but I can still find those areas in my life where I need a character reset. I still need some heart work. I still need the Holy Spirit to nudge me along in this holiness walk. And so I would encourage you to begin to develop the practice of spiritual disciplines. This week's is fasting to focus on your heart work, your character. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the work that your Holy Spirit does within us to make us what you want us to be. I thank you for uh, the indwelling presence and power of the one who is holy. To make us holy. And I thank you for these brothers and sisters who are in pursuit of you and in pursuit of Christ-like character, that they may become your children in every single way. God, may we honor you and please you this week. In Jesus' name I pray.